I'm Avery or Hazel or Kylie. You can just pick one. I don't care. Hello, I am Lily. And I did not pick out a line to say uh, in regards to this movie. Uh, I was too busy taking notes on how bad this movie was. Honestly, so, uh, makes sense. Yeah. So, welcome to the From the Closet podcast. Uh, today, we are covering Percy Jackson's Sea of Monsters. Uh, so, there will be a link in the description below to Just Watch, which will have links to all the places where you can purchase, rent, or stream this movie. Uh, our, our links are centered around the U.S., but if you use the app, it will redirect you to uh, the your country's page, and if you use the website, you can change the country from the website page. Also in the description is a link to our Patreon, where you can get access to episodes of this show early, as well as our sister show, Off the Shelf, which is about books. I am eventually going to be covering Sea of Monsters. Um, it was actually you can a really good on, book. Yeah. Um, and you can also vote on future episodes of this show. Um, also in the description is a link to Anchor.fm, which ha itself has links to every single other platform that this podcast is on, as well as our Instagram and Twitter, where you can get notified of when we release future episodes. And speaking of our sister show Off the Shelf and the Anchor FM link, I'd also recommend checking out the YouTube channel that is linked on that page because we are eventually going to be doing an off-the-shelf episode on the Lightning Thief musical. And I intend on having Lily on board for that episode, even though th this is a podcast that's usually exclusively me. Yay! Yeah. So... With all that being said, I this podcast episode will. About that. Yeah. Um, with all that being said, this podcast will contain spoilers for not only this movie, but also pretty much the entire book series, because there is just no way around it. Well, it, this week, the spoilers would go up from The Lightning Thief to. Oh, God, the fifth book. I forgot what the fifth book was. The Last Olympian. Thank you. And then... Yeah, which is the in, which is the entire series. I mean, then there's multiple other series uh, with the same cast. Yeah, but... Kind of. Uh, they at least have Percy in them, although the last series doesn't have him in there as much. I am on but, um, The Mark of Athena. I'm on finished. <laughs> Brag much? But yeah, with all <laughs> with all that being said, uh, you've been warned about spoilers, so go ahead and leave if you haven't read the series and you intend to. For okay. the book spoilers, I get. Yeah, absolutely leave. The film spoilers, who cares? You should have okay. watched this movie. So so before we get into absolutely ripping this movie, I do want to talk about, I think, probably the most redeeming quality this movie has. Um, and one of the reasons I think this movie is better than the first movie, Douglas Smith, the actor that plays Tyson, 
He's not given much to work with, but with with what he's given, he does an absolutely fantastic job. Yeah, he does do a good Tyson. It's a shame that the circumstances run the character, not the actor. Yeah. Yeah, the actor does a great job. The script is what makes it bad. It's like um, Grover. Um, I remember he was actually a fan of the series. And, well, he was just given a script and yeah. a paycheck. Yeah, that's it. that's the story with Brandon T. Jackson. I think that may also be the story, too, here with, uh, with uh, Douglas Smith. Also, I have to say, because um, since we're talking about cast here, the cat, it, since we did our Lightning Thief episode, which was episode 17, by the way, um, since that episode has come out, we have had the reveals for the cast, or for most of the cast, for the Disney Plus show that is going to be happening in, like, two years. I and, like, see where, like, a lot of the outrage is coming from. I feel like everyone is too outraged, but I can see where everything oh, yeah. comes. Yeah, like, I can understand not being happy with race-swapping characters. It's not something I particularly like. Um, I think that there is a lot more to diversity than just taking an existing character and changing their race or their gender or their sexuality. Um, but at the same time, there are people who take this absolutely way too far. There are people who are being just straight up racist with it. And there are people who are harassing the actors because of this. If you are harassing like, kids Dude. over a movie, please seek help. This is not yes, good for please. you. No, or it's anyone not. around you. And, like, I genuinely do feel bad for Leah, the actress that's playing Annabeth, because from what I'm seeing, I think she's getting the worst of it. Uh, yeah. Oh, shit. You know what I didn't do? I didn't spin the wheel. Oh, crap. We That's our staple. No. Well, I guess I'll spin it now. Um, are you going to edit oh. in something at the beginning? No. Um, okay. <laughs> so, finally, the wheel landed on Luca. Huh. So, so okay. we go from we we go from a great movie to a decent movie to a bad movie to a great movie. The story of movies. But yeah. Um, but yeah. So speaking of movies, the last two movies that we've covered, there were things that I forgot to mention in those episodes, even though we both ended up talking a lot about those movies. I mean, I think those two episodes were some of our best. But um, so now I've committed to taking notes. I'm going to be taking notes every episode. And this was a movie that I was going to have to take notes for anyway, because there's just too much to say. There is really too much to say on this movie. And really, where to so, start? I'm going to start with where my notes start. Ooh. And the first thing I took note of was the name of this movie. 
I think the naming scheme for this movie is better than the first movie. But it's not like consistent. the first movie's title. Yeah, like that's the problem. The first movie's title is like 17 syllables long and it's clunky as all hell. Percy Jackson Sea of Monsters is a much better title. The problem is it's not consistent and that's really just not I good. I feel like but this is where the direction of this movie is heading. They want to make it work with the original movie and to try to forget that a lot of inconsistencies with said original movie. Yeah, and, you know, I think, um, okay, so for starters, to try to help understand a lot of the decisions made in this movie. So the first movie, the director was the guy who did... Um, at least the first Harry Potter movie. I don't know if he did more than that. Now, from everything I'm hearing, those movies succeeded in spite of him because there were changes he wanted to make that he was not allowed to make, namely aging the characters forward. That didn't end up happening in Harry Potter. It ended up happening here. So he's not a first offender of aging characters. Yeah. Now, I can understand why you would want to do that. Child actors can sometimes be a pain to work with. So, I get it, but it's a problem because the entire series hinges on Percy's 16th birthday being a big plot point. And in this movie, they change it to 20 because they had to. They had no other choice. Um, because the characters being aged up isn't something that they can reverse. The writer for the first movie, from my understanding, the only prior writing writing experience he ha- he had was the live action Scooby Doo movie. Hmm. I did not Which, see that one. From every yeah, from everything I've heard, is terrible. Yeah, I think I can remember so, that being very bad. So yeah, um, that's not a great pairing. So, obviously, I think Fox execs are probably the ones most responsible for this movie's failure. It was never going to be good, because it had to follow up on absolute shit. But uh, the writer and director they chose for this movie weren't great picks either. We got the director of Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and the writer behind the 2012 movie... Green Lantern. Can you say that movie was so that bad movie- that um, even like one of the actors regrets playing on that uh, acting on that movie? The main actor, the guy who played Green Lantern, Ryan Reynolds, who would go on to play Deadpool, has said publicly he regrets taking that part. You know, for some but reason, I feel was- like I should know. Ryan Reynolds. Like, I don't know actors, but I feel like I should keep that one in mind. Yeah. So, like, you know, that movie was genuinely terrible. So, even now, we've got a not-great writer-director pair. However, I do feel like they cared more. I feel like they tried to work in more stuff that was from the books than adding random shit and trying to rip off Clash of the Titans and the Marauder's Map and so many other things that the first movie did. 
My issue with this movie is that the very basis of when I was allowed to watch this, I couldn't watch this until I was done with the series. Yeah, and because it that's another issue, and I think it I, I think it's um, more of an issue of incompetence. Um, can I uh, the go first over movie? This one? Go ahead. So I'm sorry. Just the second move, uh, second movie. What that did, and I counted two um, spoilers. First one, they said the full prophecy of. Uh, I forgot what the prophecy name was. Uh, the Child of Sixteen. The Great Prophet. The Great Prophet. I always... Why do they... They have the Child um, Prophecy of Seven, but they just call this The Great Prophecy. Anyway. Yeah. So they would only it, it, it's refer weird. this as once a child of the eldest gods reaches sixteen. They never and then say they, the second, um, any other line. No, they say the entire thing. Well, I mean, until the final movie. The f- final book. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I got confused about what you meant there. Oh, yeah. But I feel like the reason... And, and I, I will defend this decision later. Um, but, I, you know, when when we get to it in my notes... Because I feel like they had a re- they had a good reason potentially for doing this, and then but, we have the bigger one when they had no excuse for, not even hypothetically, saying Serena Beauregard's name. What the hell? Yeah, I, I I find it to be problematic. Um, I do, I do think there is a little bit of like they wanted to show they read the books, or at least the writer did. I feel like there are some things where it's like it feels like the writer read the books and the director didn't, and it it feels like some of the things that happen in this movie are because the writer could not uh, communicate effectively to the director what the book was trying to convey, and I feel like. We're going to get to something later that um, completely embodies that. But yeah, um, I want to break this down bit by bit. So the next thing I had in my notes was uh, the movie opens with Percy narrating about who he is and what Camp Half-Blood is. This is pointless because the first movie already exists. We know who he is. We know what Camp Half Blood is. The now, purpose of this, sh- na- the purpose of this narration, should have entirely been to fill in the backstory that the first movie completely forgot to mention. Which it does that, but it just does that in addition to all this other pointless stuff. I mean, I feel like you know you see movies doing this a lot, where you know they want to give a recap of the previous movie, you know, all the important bits. Actually, yeah. And I feel like, um, see the, th- go ahead. So, Come yeah, on. I'm sorry. But what I was trying to say was, there's two movies that come to mind when I think about this, Ralph breaks the internet and frozen Two. Ralph breaks the internet. Didn't do this and needed to frozen Two did it a lot. 
not even did not even need it. Okay, so I can't say that I've seen Frozen Two, but I think we both can agree Ralph Breaks the Internet is a terrible movie. Um, right? Yeah, like you yeah, agree yeah. with that I, statement, yeah, of course. Okay, but yeah, um, I think the big issue is like, okay, now granted. I'm going to use something that came out later against this, but the way that the Lightning Thief musical handles this backstory is so much better. There's a song called Tree on the Hill. It is fantastic. It's a great way to explain all of this backstory because all of this backstory was explained in the first book, and there's a deleted scene where Grover explains it in the first movie. So... Like, this movie has to play catch-up, because the first movie deleted a scene. I Why did they delete that scene? But also... No, sorry, I'll mention that later. You just reminded me of something. Okay. So, the next thing I have in my notes here is, immediately after this narration, they jump into a scene where, like... Percy and Clarice are climbing up this wall. Um, this climbing wall is lame as fuck. I'm sorry. The book describes it as having flamethrowers and lava and all this, and that that was a typical Tuesday, and yet everyone around them is cheering, and it's really weird. And the thing that especially an- the the thing that especially annoys me about this scene is that there is licensed music in this scene from Fallout Boy. And it's one of the only two songs by them that I actually like. Huh. So it just really annoys me that a song that I like is in this movie. I feel you. <laughs> and yeah, and also, strange coincidence that we've landed on like two movies in a row have have li- have had licensed Fallout Boy music because the last movie we did was Big Hero Six, and that had Immortals in it. Oh yeah, it did. Which I remember you um, at the recording, I mentioned that it's like oh, I forgot to mention it. Yeah, I forgot to mention the fallout, like the, the the licensed music in Big Hero Six, because I I remember thinking that like I wanted to complain about the cliche "Eye of the Tiger" scene, um, even though "Eye of the Tiger" is a good song. It's using too cliche. it for like, yeah, it, it's too cliche, and yeah. But um, anyway, this scene also serves as the introduction to Dionysus and Clarice. Dionysus is great. Clarice is not. They completely change the character dynamic between Clarice and Percy, um, where, like, in the books, Clarice was the insecure one. She's also supposed to be, like, six feet tall and a bodybuilder, and that's not what she looks like in this movie. Not at all. So that's an issue. Yeah. Now, in this movie, Percy's the insecure one, and I'm just like, why? I, I, I don't understand this decision at all. I don't believe that Percy um, was ever that insecure in the books. Ever. No, he wasn't. Um, I, I, think it's, I think it's pretty dumb. And, uh... Yeah. I, Clarice... I, Clarice was such a good character, and it was, the beginning was terrible, and the end was terrible. Yeah. So, 
I don't get um, I don't get Percy's insecurity. I, I genuinely don't understand. Like, okay, I I can sort of understand why they changed Clarice's character a bit. It's the changes to Percy's character I don't understand. So the first movie didn't have Clarice at all, and I, they basically I find took that so a lot stupid. of the. Yeah. Um, they basically took a lot of the things that Clarice would do in the first movie, and they gave them to Annabeth, which is dumb, but I can understand why Clarice's character is slightly different in this movie because of it, because it just kind of had to be. It also kind of makes Annabeth a worse character in this movie. Um, there's not really a way around that. Yeah, Annabeth in but this yeah, movie um, was a bore, and I just it's just weird how much... Percy and Annabeth hugged in this. You would definitely yeah, not find I, that in uh, the original book. But at least in this movie, they haven't, they don't really make like, you know, they don't really make romantic looks at each other nearly as often as the first oh, movie. And I will give it this movie credit. They didn't have a pointless shirtless scene. Oh, yes. Thank God. But yeah, um, immediately after this climbing wall scene, uh, we get, like, Percy, Annabeth, and Grover talking, which I'll get to Grover in a minute. He's later in my notes. Um, and there's this scene where they're talking, and they mention multiple quests that, ha that happen in the series. They're actually from the books. But the issue is they haven't happened yet. Particularly the quests uh, with the bronze dragon and the stolen chariot. Those haven't happened yet. They happen between book four and book five. Oh, that was the, um, the side book that you wanted me to read, right? Yeah, I, I'm guessing you didn't read them. No, I did. Okay. Um, so yeah, that happens, and then we get Tyson's Introduction. This is incredibly clunky, and it doesn't really work. So, and it... Okay, so, uh, first of all, during Tyson's introduction, um, there's the question of, like, oh, he's the offspring of which god? Who Like, who's his godly parent? The book already ha had already established multiple times that multiple characters knew that all non-Titan Cyclopes were the children of Poseidon. So, that scene is especially dumb. Yeah, I just don't understand that. And that Tyson was ruined from the start. The fact when everyone was like, I wonder I wonder who their parent is. The only person that yeah. this was a shock to was Percy. Because he's Percy. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he, he doesn't really know his mythology that well. Um, so a couple of other things about, like, this introduction. We see Chiron is still here. He shouldn't be here because, well, actually, no, that's, that's later when we find out the tree is poisoned. But either way, he shouldn't be here because he essentially takes the blame for it because no one else really could. And he's, he, the blame is pinned on him because his father is Kronos. That's where we learn this. We never hear that in the movie. Where the fuck is Tantalus? He should have been in this movie. 
But yeah, um, more with Tyson's introduction. Uh, it also creates this... It, it, it's also like the start of this whole thing with the character dynamic between Tyson and Annabeth, which is just Annabeth being overtly racist. That's the best way to describe it. That's not what happened in the book. What happened in the book is she was afraid of Tyson. And also, fun fact... Um, Annabeth is the one who invited him into camp. He didn't just walk right in. She had to invite him in during the bullfighting scene. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, I actually forgot that part about the book. Yeah. So, like, Annabeth is afraid of him, but she doesn't treat him like shit. And I think that's, I think that's probably... My big issue now, uh, with Annabeth in this movie. I want to talk about Grover. First of all, and I'm just going to get this out of the way first so I don't forget. Grover should be afraid of Tyson. He has sees it. Yeah. Now. Grover should also be afraid of Tyson, yeah. Now, why wasn't he afraid in the second book? Oh, my mistake. He wasn't in the second book. Yeah, which that's something we will get to in a minute here. I do have it in my notes, um, but I have it later oh, because okay. there's a particular thing that happens that's before. Yeah, there's a particular thing. It, the, there's still quite a bit before. Um, I still have some things to talk about with the introduction of Tyson. Um, but yeah, uh, a, a, as I've established, Annabeth's racism, it doesn't work. Moving on, though, still in Tyson's introduction... We also get the start of the character dynamic between Percy and Tyson. And this is where Percy is still an unlikable dick, just like he was in the first movie. He acts, he, he's like, oh, is Poseidon like playing a trick on me or something? And he, he basically t treats Tyson like shit throughout the whole movie. And like at the end, uh, close to the end of the movie, when he like takes an arrow for Tyson, uh, for for Percy, um, and Tyson's like, you do it for me, and I'm like, this movie has done absolutely nothing to show me that he would do it for you. I mean, okay, so in the book, I feel like he was a tenth of that to Tyson. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, he definitely, it, it was definitely different in the book. He wasn't completely overtly a dick. Um, where it, it felt like in the book, he had thoughts that per probably weren't the best, but he didn't treat Tyson like shit because of the thoughts he was having. No, and I will give that one for the movie. You can't exactly have, you know, the inner monologue anymore, but that just made Percy's actions ten times worse. Yeah, it just made Percy a more unlikable character. One last thing with Tyson's character uh, introduction. Clarice mentions that they should get him sprayable mist. This. This is where this movie... It, uh, okay, so earlier I mentioned how I thought there were scenes... I thought there were particular things that the writer tried to communicate to the, to the director 
and the director didn't quite understand it. It is my belief that this is a miscommunication and that the, the director kind of forced this in. I don't have any evidence for that, but that just seems really likely to me. Yeah. I First of all, I hate how they removed the mist from the first movie, and now sprayable mist? I mean, it's, it's kind of like how in the third book they were manipulating the mist. But Yeah, kind of. No, I... I hate this. And the fact how they were showing the mist working later in the movie. Yeah. Um, so at, we get this bullfighting scene, which is supposed to be where um, Tyson makes it into camp. We, we never even got the scene at his uh, Percy's school, by the way. Apparently that was just so not important at all. Yeah. But yeah, after this bullfighting scene, um, it, which admittedly is pretty good, the bull is uh, decently designed, and I mean, I mean, it's a fun action sequence to watch at the very least. But at the end, we see Luke, and Luke has this really weird teleportation device thing that he will use throughout the movie. That wasn't in the book. I don't know where this fucking came from. Um, because magical world, am I right? Yeah, something. It, it it's weird. Uh, that that was just an aside thing. Um, it, that I wanted to mention. Is it weird or less weird than magical tape? I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> so yeah. Um, after this, um, a little bit after this, we get this. We get the oracle scene, and before before I even talk about the great prophecy. Um, we have mythical inaccuracy. The Oracle claims that all three of the big three gods escaped. But that's not true. Only Zeus escaped, and he only escaped with the help of Rhea. Because, reminder, he was a baby. Yeah, I, I noticed that immediately. The books didn't make this inaccuracy. This is an inaccuracy, yeah. not just to the book. They just bat all over Greek mythology and called it a day. I wouldn't say they spat all over Greek mythology and called it a day. I think this is just a minor mistake. Um, this, like, It's certainly no Persephone being in the underworld during the summer. Okay, fair enough. But I, even I learned, you know, the story about the Greek myths why I was in school. Come on. And, and there's and there's more to that whole story that's going to happen later that I'll talk about. Um, so also, the Oracle scene introduces the, the fleece, and it's a really weird implication. Um, there's really weird implications with the fleece overall throughout the entire movie. Uh, Namely, the idea that satyrs keep going after it and dying, but that's not the case. There's no mention of the search for Pan, and that's what the satyrs are really after. And the fleece kind of radiates a similar energy to what they're expecting Pan to feel like. Um, but, and that's why no satyr has... Yeah, sorry for cutting ahead. you off, but 
that wasn't in the first movie. There was no mention of Pam. There was no mention of the searcher's license. Grover's entire drive, his entire motivation, gone. It's yeah. gone. And like, I, I feel like this is an element they could have introduced in this movie, but they chose not to. And I don't know why they made that decision. Um, but yeah, like the, the, it's the reason no Seder has ever come back from searching for Pan because they find the golden fleece and then they get eaten by Polyphemus. So then the Oracle butchers the great prophecy. Okay. So for starters, there's the change to, uh, from 16 to 20. This I can defend like this. I'll defend because it had to be made. It's not the like it's not on the people who made this movie. It's on the people who made the first movie. That's their fault. Um, the evil soul cursed blade shall reap. This I have a problem with because that's not what the great prophecy said. Uh, in the what books, the say? great prophecy said. In the books, the great prophecy said the hero's soul cursed blade shall reap, and. It was referring to Luke, um, but Percy thought it was referring to him for quite quite a bit of the first movie. I mean, bleh, why did I say that? Uh, the, for quite a bit of the fifth book. Yeah. <laughs> he thought it was referring to him, which made his apprehension about being the child of the prophecy stronger uh, because he thought he was going to get his soul reaped. There's still a line in this great prophecy saying a single choice shall end his days. So his apprehension still makes sense. It's just, there's no soul reaping blade that's going to kill him in this movie. So it, it, it's just, yeah. Okay. Okay. So I actually do want to say some one joke that actually didn't land on me. Just the, um, Oh, it's the raise with the Z I asked. Yeah, that was a reference. There, there. I remember that was a reference to the, the fifth book, where someone was like, yeah. "Oh, race isn't that a good thing?" No, it's the race with the Z. Oh. Okay, so then, um, Clary, it, basically, the Golden Fleece gets presented to Dionysus, and then, or like the idea of the Golden Fleece gets presented to Dionysus, even though, um. Like, the weird thing is they all know where it is, um, which they shouldn't. Um, that's kind of the whole point of uh, this book, is that no one knows where the Golden Fleece is, and Grover reveals it to Percy in a dream, because, like, he's not supposed to be here, um, which I'll get to in just a second. Um, and also, importantly, this book establishes that Grover creates an empathy link between him and Percy, which is massively important later on in the series. Didn't and this here. movie... Yeah, this movie doesn't acknowledge it. I didn't put that in my notes. It's just something I remembered just now. But yeah, so we get this quest. Clarice goes on the quest. There's some satyr who wasn't in the book. Um, uh, but he doesn't really matter because he dies. Um, so, yeah, um, 
they go into the chariot of damnation from the gray sisters they're pretty great uh honestly uh they're even though where this takes place in the movie isn't accurate they are pretty accurate to how they were in the books so i also it reminds me of disney's um fates a little bit Yeah, um, that's because in Hercules, they combined the Fates with the Grey Sisters, and it just, uh, Disney's Hercules has, has a lot of mythical inaccuracies. Yeah, but, but yeah, we're not um, talking about Disney here. So, uh, they make it all the way to Washington, D.C. They never went to Washington, D.C. in this book. They went to Washington, D.C. in the next one. Yeah, isn't... Okay, in the book, um, one of the gods went directly to the camp. Like, it sounded a lot more pleading than sounded in this movie. It's like, I, I need to help Luke. Please help me. Yeah. So, Grover... Now, now I'm going to talk about Grover. Uh, he shouldn't be here. His motivations uh, to le like not only should he not be here, the fact that he is still with the heroes makes their motivation to leave camp make less Weak sense. As fuck, as how I would describe it. Yeah, yeah, because in the book, Percy and Annabeth and Tyson leave camp to go rescue Grover. Because they don't think Clarice cares. and But here, I'll he's not even kidnapped yet. I mean, that was half the reason, and the other half of the reason was Hermes? Was it Hermes? Oh yeah, Hermes, which I'll get to in a second here. Yeah, Hermes um, said, so because um, that's the guy I was talking about, Hermes convinced Percy to go after Luke. Yeah, um... So, because Grover isn't kidnapped at the beginning of this movie, it's literally the first thing that happens in the book, by the way, um, he has to randomly get kidnapped while they're in D.C., and we get that stupid teleportation device again. But also, Chris Rodriguez is introduced here. That's a spoiler for book four. We weren't supposed to know for quite a while that he used to work with Luke, and he eventually will you know, turn over to the good side and be Clarice's boyfriend or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah. Um, so in DC, before that happens, um, they go to this like cafe that's, um, I guess, demigod friendly. And there's a Hecaton Curace or however the fuck you say it there. But no, sorry. Um, for starters, I believe it's supposed to be Briares, who was in the fourth book, not this one. But also, he only has ten arms here and one face, when he's supposed to have a hundred arms and fifty faces. Can we get to one of the biggest inaccuracies I saw? Is that it paints it for the rest of the... Like, if they want to make a series... They just couldn't with this. 
how um, if you're talking ab- works. No, I don't really see that as a problem for the rest of the series. Sure, it's like supposed to have healing properties, but they could always just introduce that later and it wouldn't be an issue. Yes, it makes sense. But I mean, there's two things that Nectar Ambrosia introduced. Rapid healing uh, from the gods, and if you eat too much, you'll burn up and die. Drink too much. Nectar is the liquid. Ambrosia is the Yeah, I said I just lumped them both together. Yeah, um, but yeah, like, they could have done that better, um, and also it should have been introduced in the first movie, but I, you can't begrudge this movie for things that the first movie didn't do. Um, but yeah, um, so Hermes gets weirdly placed in DC instead of at Camp Half-Blood, and the problem with that is that, um, you know, it, 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 doesn't really play well into how Percy was and Annabeth and Tyson were supposed to go after Luke in the first place. But also, he's described in the book as wearing a tracksuit, and here he's wearing a business suit for some reason. Um, I'm sorry, his lines just don't really work. I don't really know what it is, but I hear these lines, I'm saying, that's not Hermes. Yeah. I, and, and I think that's... um. I think that's a problem. Now, George and Martha, on the other hand, his snakes, they're okay. They're actually they're pretty okay, decent. But they were not present nearly as enough as they should have been. Yeah. Um, there's also um, a particular thing where Hermes talks about Luke holding a grudge uh, for so long and saying that he's just like his mother. I took issue with this line because we actually meet Luke's mother later, and that is that that could not be further from the truth. Yeah, wasn't and wasn't Luke's mom droving crazy because of the events that yeah, happened? Yeah, she was basically yeah, she was basically she basically got driven insane because she tried to take on the Oracle of Delphi's powers. And she couldn't because Hades had placed a curse on it. I think it was Hades. Yeah, it was Hades because of a whole nother thing. That doesn't even concern this movie, surprisingly, of how much they spoiled. Yeah. Um, so, the, ne- the key thing that Hermes does, though, in both the book and the movie, is give Percy a couple of gifts. Now, the problem is this movie cuts out the gift of the pills, uh, the the vitamins that would eventually turn Percy back into a human, because he was turned into a guinea pig by Cersei. Yeah, I know, that that doesn't happen in this movie. Cersei's not even in this movie, which I'll get to later. Um, and uh, the thermos of wind, uh, the thermos full of wind is completely accurate. The matter eliminator, which is like a, a magic tape gun, that uh, that's completely random. It's a complete movie fabrication. Now, the reason I I, I want to harp on this especially because this is um, a case of I assume the writer not understanding the parallels to the Odyssey. It was a clever the, the gifts that Hermes gives to Percy are a clever reference to the gifts that Odysseus is given. 
Honestly, I like the clever references that the first book did. Sorry, I guess all the books did, but... Yeah. So, immediately after this, um, like, like we're told where Luke is, um, so, like, they go out to, like, some dock or something, and we get this weird scene where they introduce this storyline of, like, Percy being jealous that Poseidon responds to Tyson, and it gets one scene and it's never brought up again. Never brought up. Why? Why do you keep yeah, introducing like, things that you don't want to play with? Yeah. Um, so then, like, we get to the... We get on board the Andromeda, and we get three huge spoilers. I guess one of them was technically spoil spoiled earlier. Um, Chris Rodriguez. But we also get introduced to Ethan Nakamura here, who really, you know, he's not really here, but, like... For one, they're not supposed to know who he is. Percy meets Ethan for the first time in book four in a fight in a Colosseum type thing in the middle of the labyrinth. And so, what about yeah, the other... Um, was only two names named there? No, it was three names. Chris Rodriguez, Ethan Nakamura, and importantly, Selena Beauregard. This is a massive spoiler, I'm sorry. Uh, a big plot point in the fifth book is that um, there is a spy at Camp Half-Blood. They don't know who it is. This movie tells you exactly who it is. It's her. Pretty much. Because, like, you know she's there in the last book. Like, in the last book. You know she's at Camp Half-Blood. And this movie showing her on Luke's ship, that's a massive problem. Yeah, there is no, no, no reason for that. Yeah, no reason other than they wanted to show that they've read the books. And that's this it. will that, come That's back. the whole reason. This entire... That, that's the whole... Sorry, I'm just saying. This problem of them trying to say that they want to read the... They want to say that they read the book. That'll come back. In full. To yeah, unfortunately. So, um... Another problem with the boat, uh, there's not enough monsters on board for me to be convinced that he has a monster army like there is in the books. Um, so that's an issue. Doesn't have a and then also, ship. Yeah, well, I mean, the ship looks pretty big to me. I mean, but yeah, I, I mean, I can understand that that complaint. The ref They reference the weird dynamic between Annabeth and Luke that exists in the books. The weird, oddly pedophilic dynamic. And yeah, I'll say it's pedophilic, because like later on in the books, after Luke turns completely batshit, he decides that he likes Annabeth. The problem is, in The Lightning Thief, Percy and Annabeth are both 12, and Luke is 19. Oh. I almost forgot about that. Yeah, meaning that in The Last Olympian, uh, when Percy and Annabeth are 16, that puts Luke at 23. Oh god, I actually forgot about that when I was reading the books. That is so much worse. Oh my god. Yeah, 
I could have lived my life it, it, without remembering this. It's disgusting. Um, I, I, I genuinely don't know why Rick Riordan wrote it like that. Um, it's one of the things that has bothered me with the books as I've gotten older. Um, I think the reason that he kind of gets away with writing it like that is that pretty much everyone forgot how old Luke is. Honestly, I mean, that happened with me as well. Yeah. Um, it was only after I started, like, after I reread The Lightning Thief that I noticed it. Um, that is so... But yeah, so... I mean, they could have been inconsistent with his age, like Nico. Yeah, but there's it, there's not really evidence of that. Um, Nico has very explicit um, inconsistencies with his age. Um, but yeah, um, so there's uh, there's this whole ship sequence. Doesn't really matter. I, I want to talk about the escape sequence because this makes absolutely no sense. I'm sorry, like. The way they escape, that that's fine. It's kind of somewhat book accurate. But then you get Luke standing on moving water that he should not be able to stand on. No, no, no. I, I'm glad you pointed that up. I was noticing the exact same thing. I was like, this is Percy's power. What are you, what are you draft of all trades? No, you're not. Get off. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, we completely miss the Hydra, um, that's supposed to take place between this event and the event, um, that, uh, the event with Charybdis and Scylla, which we'll get to them in a minute. But who cares? So we, we missed the Hydra, the Hydra because, yeah, we missed the Hydra because they already killed a Hydra in book, in the first movie. Um, the problem that... But there's a bigger problem than the fact that they missed the Hydra here. Because in the book, this is where Percy and Annabeth and Tyson unite with Clarice on board the CSS Birmingham. Or is it the SS Birmingham? I can't remember. It's either CSS or SS. Either way, I'm just going to call it the Birmingham from now on. But yeah, um, the problem here with that ship... Okay, so they. Uh, I guess now is a good as good as a time as any to talk about Charybdis and Scylla. Okay, Scylla isn't even seen in this movie. She's just mentioned in a passing comment by Clarice, saying they already got through her. Um, Charybdis is there. He's somewhat in. She's somewhat intimidating, but the fact like they were never swallowed in the book because, I mean. There's not really even an indication that there were w there would be breathable air inside Charybdis's stomach, but hey, movie's got a movie, I guess. Okay, Avery, this is no. I want to say something completely unrelated. So when you finish that, tell me your point. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, just let me get through all the shit with Charybdis, Scylla, and the meeting with Clarice. Yeah. So. Because of no Hydra, this scene is where they meet Clarice uh, on board the Birmingham. And th it, uh, that ship is not a Confederate ironclad. If the Confederates had that ship, like, 
if they had that kind of shit, they would not have, um, they wouldn't have lost the Civil War, which would be really bad. No. That, that is, that is some heavy firepower. Yeah, um, and also, um, during the sequence where they escape Charybdis, that ship literally is fully submerged and floats up to the surface. And, like, I, I was remembering this before going into it, and I was like, maybe, maybe it was Percy causing that to happen? No, he's sitting there doing fucking nothing. Uh, so, logic, uh, who needs it? Yeah, uh, do you understand physics? Um, and also, uh, there's uh, the scene where Ares is basically scolding Clarice for some reason and acting kind of abusive. Um, it doesn't happen in this movie. So yeah, I finished that point. Um, so, I want to move on to Percy's pen. Or, I guess, sword. Again, I'll never forgive... It is not a push pen; it's a ball cap. But something I noticed: the sword has the emblem of Poseidon. But we later learned yeah. that weapon was made by another character for who was it again? Her Heracles. Heracles, thank you. So, yeah, why does it have? Is there any logical reason why this weapon has the mark, or they're just not thinking ahead, because why not? I think it's a combination of them not thinking ahead, but also um, knowing that Poseidon did technically give Chiron the sword to give it to Percy. Yeah, but it should not so, have, like, it was never um, Poseidon's sword, he just was Correct. a new owner of it that gave it to Percy. Yeah. So um, the next thing I have here in my notes is like um, we have um, on board the Birmingham. Percy starts seeing a sort of map with like grid lines, longitude and latitude lines or whatever. Um, and it's a really cool visual. It's a really nice way to display like how he's able to know where he is when he's out on the ocean. Um, I thought that was, I, I thought that was a really cool visual. So props to the movie for that cool visual. Is so there a butt? Or, we didn't pretty okay. much go. Just wondering, but shouldn't that happen earlier in the movie or am I just going crazy? Well, no, because that sort of power doesn't really get introduced until later. Okay, I'm just misremembering the book. I wanted to make sure. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Um, we pretty much go immediately to the island, which is I have problems with. Okay, so they combine Cersei's island with Polyphemus's island. Cersei land is dumb. I'm sorry. Okay, Cersei is supposed to be a misandrist goddess. Um, she was not a failed businesswoman, and she certainly would not have created an amusement park because that has mixed that that has mixed gender appeal. And again, she's misandrist. So, uh, so she she in the book she runs a spa, and there's like a lot of services for women, and she just turns men into guinea pigs. 
and that um, is apparently important for the next series. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, because uh, there's a character who gets freed from the island. Uh, actually, two characters who get freed from the island um, because of the events that transpire there. Also, um, some things I didn't mention. There's no scene where the Birmingham blows up. So they have to do the Tyson death fake out later. Tyson's actually missing for a lot more of the book than he is the movie. I'm pretty sure they also think Clarice is dead in the book. Oh, right. Um, until she, yeah. 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 Until she shows up later. Um, and it's this that leads like it, it's the fact that the, the whole Island that Cersei takes place on um like, they steal Captain Blackbeard's ship, and they use it to travel to the next location. There, There's also the complete exclusion of the scene with the sirens, and that's pretty important because we learn about fatal flaws in this scene, which, granted, really aren't that big of a deal after the first series. Uh, I think Rick Riordan kind of forgot about them. I mean, it but they was are a pretty big deal. In very important, especially Percy's fatal flaw. Yeah, it's a very, very big deal in the first series. So the fact that it's left out is kind of uh, disappointing. Uh, and also, like I said, the factor, the fact that the the fact that Cersei's completely missing from this movie, disappointing, and also. She couldn't be in this movie because they left out the pills gift. Um, so, yeah. Um, they left out things earlier in the movie to have leave out things later in the movie. Just... But... But I will kind of defend them a little bit here. Movies have a limited runtime... There are always going to be things that you have to leave out when adapting a book into a movie. You know what they could have left out? The ending. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> so, uh, we're on the island, and we meet up with Grover again. He's wearing a dress and disguised as a cyclops and everything. I'll be honest, that was and probably my Clar favorite part about the movie. There's not a lot of good parts about yeah. the movie. But seeing Grover look like that, perfect. Yeah. The problem with this scene is that Clarice pulls out a cell phone and takes a picture. I mean, earlier in the movie, I, Annabeth was on a tablet. Yeah. I, I, I've com For some reason, I completely forgot about that. But yeah, that's a problem. Uh, I, I did notice this cell phone thing. Um Half-Bloods are not supposed to be using technology. It acts as a beacon for monsters. Annabeth has a cell phone in the books, but it's always turned off, and she only ever uses it for emergencies. The only other use of uh, technology is in book, end of book four, which is, ex was it especially clear or just implied that it's a magical laptop? Yeah, like, Daedalus eventually gives Annabeth a magic laptop that she'll have for quite a while and like it doesn't act as a beacon that that's you know because Daedalus made it 
So of course it doesn't. He's just good. Yeah, but also the thing is, like, we're never given any indication in the books that Clarice even has a cell phone. But I mean, the the whole technology thing. Um, I can kind of understand someone forgetting that. Um, I can kind of understand the writer maybe not being able to communicate to the director why this can't happen. You know, there's a whole lot of possible reasons. Also, the fact that Percy literally had an iPod in the first movie. Yeah, um, I mean, so, clearly we're just forgetting that rule off the get-go. Why bring it back now? Yeah, I feel, I feel like if they... I feel like if they brought it back now, it would have been an inconsistency with the first movie. And I feel like they probably didn't want to do that. So that could be a reason why they include it. it like why they include technology in this movie where it shouldn't be because they just kind of had to, because they can't really, there's not really an excuse for them not to. I'm sorry. There is one thing that's been bothering me. I we already said it. But I don't think I've said it enough. Throughout this movie, they will keep constantly referring. So it's about Tyson. It's like I'm the son of uh, Poseidon. It's like what Poseidon only has one son. They're not even including why. Um, it's not like Poseidon has only had one son. Hell, he has a godson. Yeah. Um. But the particularly the the language Luke uses is half blood, and I feel like that's that's bad because in the books they kind of try they at least somewhat try to make it clear that half blood doesn't just refer to demigods; it refers to satyrs, it refers to cyclopes, it refers to a lot of different species, um, not just demigod. It literally just means half god, half something else. I mean, they clearly also don't know that. Okay, it's either don't know, or all the other Cyclops just spawn in the wilderness out of nothing. Yeah. Yeah, so, um. Yeah, uh, okay. So, back on the island, um, we have another missed parallel to the odyssey and i feel like this is probably another holdover from the first movie but it almost feels like they could have included it too mm. annabeth does not have um a yankees cap that can make her invisible that could have been introduced in this movie and it would have worked and they could have kept the parallel where annabeth tricks um Polyphemus by referring to herself as nobody and talking to him. Hey, they could have made Annabeth useful. Yeah. Which, but that's a big thing doesn't in this happen. movie. That's a huge thing. Annabeth doesn't do much. So yeah, we have this fight scene with Polyphemus, and then they decide to trap Polyphemus with his own front door. And then they gently lean a log against it. Okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not going to work. Ima own imagine like Imagine like you're chasing me um and like we're in your house or something and like you're chasing me and I run out your front door 
and then I close it, and then I act like that's actually going to trap you. No, I'm trapped. How could I? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, then Luke shows up and tries to kill Percy, but then Tyson jumps in front of the arrow or whatever. Um, and there's this death fake out scene, which I mentioned earlier. Um, and they have to do a death fake out because they didn't do it earlier because the Birmingham didn't explode. But this is even worse because Luke didn't show up at this scene. He, yeah, it, it happens. Kronos didn't get revived. Hold on, I'm getting to that. Just give me a minute. So, before Kronos uh, before comes back, we get a scene that sort of seems to imply that Percy and Clarice are friends now. What? <laughs> no. Marty hating us. In the books... Yeah, in the books, that doesn't happen until after the stolen chariot quest. And even then, it's kind of debatable. I say they're friends after that. I mean... But um, it's certainly... Percy it's, did try to call it's certainly not here. I remember Percy trying to call in a favor in the fifth book, and Clarice is like, "Any you can call that favor in any time, but now." <laughs> yeah, I mean, at, at the very least, their relationship is very much improved after that quest. It really has. Um, but now they're all buddy buddy. Th this is more buddy buddy than they were after the fifth book. Yeah. And I think that's uh, that's very much a problem. So, um, a I, I, I want to establish a couple of things that sh happened in the book that really will make the, the movie seem weird. Okay, so, um, after the whole situation on the island, they then travel to Miami, um, and then they, they realize, hey, this Thalia's tree does not have enough time. Uh, let's send Clarice back with the fleece on an airplane. And then Luke shows up, tries to kill Percy, and then, like, they get interrupted by Chiron and a bunch of other centaurs. So, so that's what happens with the book. Chiron and the centaurs escort Percy and uh, Annabeth and Grover and Tyson back to camp. Uh, in the movie, they actually don't explain how any of them got back to camp. And this so is one of my something. greatest problems. This is, I think, the biggest problem this movie has. Well, what I'm about to say... Kronos... The... Um, Clarice's prophecy. Why no one would go up to help her in the quest. Why she was alone in the... That big boat. Well, that's... It, it, they tried. I wouldn't say it's necessarily because of her prophecy. It's more because she chose to be alone. Uh, um, yeah. She chose to be alone because of her prophecy. But the fact that her prophecy is completely left out of the, the book. Yes. Um, it's completely left out of the movie. Um, yeah, that's a problem. But also... They kind of had to include the Oracle to apologize for not including the Oracle in the first movie. I mean, they could have mentioned and the Oracle, like, Mount and May Percy goes up and sees the Oracle. Anything. Then. Yeah. What we got. Yeah. 
So the big problem, though, is on the island, we're still on the island with Polyphemus in the movie, um, Luke manages to steal the fleece, put it on Kronos's sarcophagus, and Kronos comes back. And then he just fucking eats Luke and Grover. What the fuck? Um, so, we get the reveal that Riptide is apparently the cursed blade. No, it isn't. No, it's not. Yeah, it, it just fucking isn't. That is not the cursed blade from the books. Um, and then Percy makes the claim that the gods killed Kronos with it. No, it's not. No, they didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, they didn't. Kronos was killed with his own weapon. And and then so painful because they explain they explain how Riptide was made. And the next book, how are you expecting yeah. to make a third movie if you're doing this shit? Well, I mean, I feel like that's probably the least of their worries when it comes to making future movies, because the biggest issue is that Percy defeats Kronos. Once that happens, like, okay, Percy defeats Kronos. He has the Cursed Blade. I'm sorry, Kronos is not an intimidating villain, and no one should care if he comes back. They build up to Kronos because, in the book so well to have it yeah. spat on his sarcophagus so many times. So yeah, like, the, the problem is, it we've already established Percy can defeat Kronos, so why do we care if he comes back? This alone is what kills any potential for future sequels. But, and later in the movie, we'll find out, oh, they actually wanted to make a future sequel. Yeah, because they have the, the cliffhanger with Thalia. I don't know if they... And that's pretty much it. I mean, that's how the book ended. So, it makes me almost wonder if they just added that to be like, aha, this is how the book ended. But it really also felt yeah. that half the time they wanted a sequel. The other half of the time, they didn't. I feel like they did want a sequel the entire time. It's just that there was just general incompetence. So I've gotten to the end of my notes entirely. But I do want to talk about, like, okay, the first movie, it felt like the writer was arrogant. Um, it felt like he thought he could write the story better than Rick Riordan, even though the book was a bestseller and his only prior writing experience, to my knowledge, was completely fucking up Scooby-Doo. Which, if you didn't know, how don't you know, first of all, it's not that hard to make a good Scooby-Doo. Yeah, exactly. So, I'm sorry that uh, I, I think... You know, I, I think the writer behind the first movie was arrogant. Um, but with this movie, they're left with... Uh, the new director and the new writer are left with complete shit. All right? They have been given... They have to follow up on a movie that was not at all... Not even closely accurate to the book. They, like, it barely had the skeleton of the first book. Um, 
adapted into that movie. So they have to be consistent with the first movie, but also try to make a somewhat decent adaptation of the the book. Um, and I don't feel like they do a good job, but I do feel like they tried. I feel like even trying does not help me. That does not soften this blow. Especially how like, a lot of the major characters have no motivations. If they don't have any motivations, why should me, as the viewer, care about these characters? Yeah, I feel like the only character that seems to have any motivations is Luke. And we shouldn't root not for at him. all like how he was. <laughs> that's yeah. the problem. Um, so yeah, that uh, that's a big issue. Um, I but so the thing is, like, I at least get the sense that some of the people behind this movie, apart from actors, actually read the books. And I can't say that for the first movie. Well, I can definitely not say I that. I feel for like the they first tried. Movie. Like, I feel like they tried, but were just generally incompetent. But I also don't know how much they could have done. Um, this movie was going to be bad no matter what, because it was a follow-up to the first movie. I feel like it was better than the first movie. They included more stuff from the Sea of Monsters than the Lightning Thief movie did that was from the Lightning Thief. They included stuff from other books to show that, hey... They actually read at least all the way through The Last Olympian, or at least read Cliff Notes on the last three books. Something. There's there's at least something there. They at least did a little bit more research than the people behind the first movie. I don't know what happened between so, the first movie, and I definitely don't know what happened between the second movie. But this series no matter what, was always destined to fail. Yeah, if you want, it, it was destined for failure. If you want a good series, you have to put your best foot forward. They tripped down the stairs and a piano fell on them. Yeah, and like, you know, I, I kind of also get the vibe that like, even though the writer probably read the book, he, they probably haven't read the Odyssey. Probably did and Yeah, I feel like that uh, is why a lot of the parallels Wait were missed. Wait a minute. I, do, I was required I do. to read the Odyssey in high school. <laughs> I remember reading a portion of it in high school. Oh, yeah. But yeah. yeah. Um, it was only a portion. But, um, but yeah, one thing I do appreciate, and I was worried about whether the movie would address it or not. Mm. Um, and they actually did, uh, and I was pleasantly surprised by it. Th the book and the movie both connect the actual sea of monsters to all the conspiracy theories about the Bermuda Triangle. Oh, right. I could not remember if that was yeah. in the first book. I just assumed it was it and moved on. No, it, okay, that was never mentioned in the first book. It was mentioned in this book before they even take off um, to go on the quest. I can forgive them for not mentioning oh, it. Did I say the until first book? I meant later. the original book. 
yeah. Um, I, I, I'm glad they included that. I, I, I just, that's good. So, I don't really have that much more to say on, uh, this movie. Right, if I say and anything we've been going, more about this movie, I'll pop a fuse. <laughs> yeah. And we've been going for a very long time. I think it's so, time to uh, put this puppy to rest. Yeah. So, let's talk about the ratings that come up when you Google this movie. Um, and they're bad. Trust me. Um, not enough. as bad as what we're rating it, though. <laughs> um, IMDb gives this movie a 5.7 out of 10. Too generous. Rot Rotten Tomatoes gives it 42%. Metacritic has it at 39%. And 69% of Google users nice. liked the movie. <laughs> nice, but also way too high. Way too high, but nice. So, yeah. I, I want to say how much I hate this movie. Before this podcast, I asked Avery if I can rate below a one. And thinking about it, and Avery did tell me that I might change my mind. And I did. I'm giving it the same as um, what I rated the first movie. They have different flaws, but in my eyes, it it's all the same a 1.3 yeah and i think that's a fair score and i actually considered it but after re-watching this movie um i reconsidered it and i think that this movie is better than the first one um surprisingly i didn't think i would think that going in so i am giving this movie a 2.0 that's still low it's generously better than the first. It's generally better than what I rated the first movie because we both rated the first movie a one point three. So yeah, um, so that's pretty much it in regards to covering this movie. We're done. Um, we're finally done. Yeah, we can finally get. We're finally this, done with. We can finally not have to worry every time we spin the wheel now. For a while. I mean, there's still going to be other bad movies that we cover. That's true. But we're but... done with this. We're done with this franchise until we cover the musical, which is actually good. That is good. Which will be on Off the Shelf. Yeah, that will be on Off the Shelf, not on this podcast. And Off the Shelf is exclusive to the YouTube channel and the Patreon. So, you know, the YouTube channel is linked in the Anchor FM link below. And then the Patreon is also linked below. Um, and with all that being said, you can join us next week for, um, the free movie of the month and Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that's what's next week. Uh -oh. And then you yes. can join us the week after that for Luca. Oh man, I'm excited to cover Luca. Finally, I get to make you watch that movie. <laughs> but yeah, with all that being said, I've been Avery. That's been Lily. And please... People who make book to movie adaptations don't don't do don't this. don't do this. Yeah, don't do this, and especially don't leave the people that have to follow you for a sequel with something that's completely garbage. Bye. <laughs>